So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay, I'm ready. I hit record. I also hit record. All right, here we go. Uh, welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. The Legend of Zelda, the design of a video game? Yes! Um, oh, my God. So this is, uh, before we get there, um, some front matter. You can email us, and you can email Dana, the CEO and founder of this podcast, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. Um if you want to know who Dana is, you could send her an email and be like, what the fuck? Um, what is this? I don't even know. Anyway, I was going to say like immediately get off topic and talk about um, how I'm not sure we've ever really discussed the nature of the, like the forming of the podcast. It's possible. It's also possible you're listening right. to this and like, who knows what episode that's buried in. Cause I think we've, oh God, re- right? we've, we've reached over 200 episodes, which are roughly about an hour long. So, um, we don't even know how many episodes we have. We've given up on being excited about the number of them. Yes. Just because it's not like novel where we've made so many of them. We're like, it's a ton. We've made it's a, a ton. ton. Um, and I would say that if you are an active listener who listens on the regular and you want us to visit a topic, um, no topics are off limits. By all means, like send us an email and we'd love to visit one or, um, or hear your thoughts on stuff we've already talked about. Um, anyway, yeah, that's all I've got on that. But uh, oh, go ahead. I'm not dying. You're not dying. Yes. And I, Meg's not I'm dying. Not. <laughs> I'm not dying. I mean, we're all dying, but all I'm not dying right immediately. So much slower than anticipated. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the uh, topic for today, The Legend of Zelda, this video game that you and I... Um, Obsessed. Yes. We love this game. Um, and by this game, I mean one of the 19, many of the 19 in the main series. There are a lot. So wild. Uh, and I thought we'd start with the very first one um, because that's mm-hmm. the one I'm the most familiar with. And also the one that I think kind of uh, epitomizes the nature Mm -hmm. of this game or the sort of philosophy of the design around this game. Um, So the original Legend of Zelda that I'm familiar with is the North American version. Um, There was... there was a, the original. It was originally released in Japan. So I'm reading from the Wikipedia article, "The Legend of Zelda: okay. Parentheses Video Game," uh, as of July 19th, 2023. And the original game released in in Japan is the Hyrule Fantasy Zelda no Densetsu. Um, mm. And if you have no idea about this game, it's it's a it's a Nintendo origin like the original Nintendo. Uh, like the Famicom, Back in the day. yeah, Famicom in Japan, uh, mm-hmm. NES, Nintendo Entertainment System in the U.S., which most people <laughs> will be familiar with. They listen to this podcast, I assume. Yeah. Um, that system was like an eight-bit system. Um, the game itself was uh, pretty exciting. I think it was very different from a lot of stuff that we were used to. It was released in. Um, its original release was February 1986. That was for the um, for the Famicom or the Family Computer Disk System. 
um, which was the sort of precursor to the cartridge Nintendo system. Oh, um, wow. The North American release uh, was mm-hmm. August 26, 1987, uh, which actually, I think I remember this because, so my birthday is August 26th. And I was so, just going to say that was on your birthday. Yeah. And so I think actually my friend had got the game like a couple days before, and I seem to remember one of my birthdays spent quite many hours like playing this game. And now I was obsessed with this game when I was a kid because I did not have a Nintendo. And so I didn't have access to play it. And so I played it at friends' houses. Yes. And so my first time playing through it was like, and this is a game that like, you didn't, I like, at least for me, the experience was like sitting with a friend playing was super fun, whether you Mm -hmm. were holding the controller or not, because this is a game of like exploration and, and sort of puzzle on discovery, right? Discovering puzzling. Yes. And so, um, the, if you're not at all familiar with this game, this, it's sort of this top down Pac-Man esque sort of control style, but without quite the high level of manic action. Um, though, <laughs> yes. And you basically go from sort of screen to screen and each screen is its own little sort of um, dungeon room or overworld room where there are usually monsters that you can attack with your sword that kind of thrusts out in front of the main character um, mm-hmm. in this sort of satisfying way. And, and everything kind of takes up like a unit of space on the like yeah. board. Yes, the exactly. Board. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so you just kind of wander around, uh, and you can go in kind of four cardinal directions from each screen. Sometimes there's like a block in the like a blocked road in one way, so you can only go three directions. But generally speaking, you can go in all four directions and and discover a new screen. And so there's kind of two main board uh, fields of play. There's sort of an overworld which connects mm-hmm. all the dungeons, and then when you're in the overworld, you can find certain screens have basically stairways going down that can be uncovered in different ways. There's different mechanics yeah. for discovering you can them. Descend to the lower layer, sort of. Yeah. Which does not all connect to each other. No, no. And then when you descend to the lower layer, there may be a dungeon down there, which is its own sort of set of um, interconnected sort of rooms, uh, like these screen rooms um, with goals for discovering the end of the dungeon where you kind of have a final boss fight that's usually protecting um, some piece of the Triforce. So this whole... How many bosses must I face? So I think there's nine typically in the original one. Um, Uh I mean, you... There's there's nine dungeons. Um, There's eight pieces of the Triforce that you collect and then you can access the ninth dungeon. Um, And the... So we're kind of getting to the plot... um, the Legend of Zelda is originally described in the instruction book during uh, and also during this short dialogue, which plays after the title screen of the game. Um, the Legend of Zelda has this sort of classic story, which is sort of, you know, the, the princess has been uh, has been sort of kidnapped um, or well, I guess. I don't. I don't know about that. It's even like, like weirder and sinisterer than that. Like, yeah, it's like, basically there's this evil chaos demon guy Ganon, um, and he steals the Triforce of Power, um, and your job is to um, 
prevent him from acquiring the Triforce of Wisdom. Uh, Princess Zelda has split up the Triforce of Wisdom into eight fragments um, and hides them in secret underground dungeons. And your job is to go collect all of the pieces of the Triforce of Wisdom uh, in uh, in order to, oh, so yes, yeah, so Ganon eventually, so first, the sort of storyline is that uh, Princess Zelda destroys or breaks up the Triforce of Wisdom into eight pieces uh -huh. and hides them around the world in these for eight security. dungeons for security. Security um, through obscurity. Yes, and then Ganon eventually kidnaps her um, uh, and so, but, um, but she tasks her nursemaid Impa to find someone to save the kingdom. Um, uh -huh. And so then this old woman uh, Impa uh, finds Link um, and then links and tasks Link with the job of rescuing the princess Zelda um, and reassemble the, the Triforce of Wisdom so that he can defeat Ganon. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And so the game itself um, from a design perspective, I think it's really amazing. Um, it, it's it started out so um the legend the original legend of zelda was designed uh directed and designed by uh, shigeru miyamoto and mm. takashi tezuka um and they uh basically produced the game uh, or miyamoto produced the game and tezuka wrote the story and script so um there were other people who worked on it but essentially um the idea was to kind of create this sense of exp like unknown wonder and exploration. Um, I, I know that there are uh, probably some theories around the idea that this uh, took a lot from other games that were kind of contemporary. Oh, did it? I don't have that information in front of me, so mm. I can't say <laughs> I... Um, you know, regardless of that, like the goal of this isn't really to talk about whether, you know, where the sources of all of this came from. I just kind of sure. want to get into the idea of like how the design of this game really works, um, especially the original one and why I think it's still kind of worth playing today. I mean, I play it, I've probably played it like, I don't know, 15 times all the way through in my life. Like I'm sure wow. I'll play it again. Like it's, it's, it's something that I played so much that it doesn't take me as long as the original, the first time. Right. So the first time yeah. is like, you have no idea how the world works. You're, um, you're exploring this. There, I heard somebody steep refer to learning curve. Yeah. It's a steep learning curve. I've heard somebody refer to this as a sort of early version of what's called like an immersive sim, which is to say that, um, hmm. you create this field of play that has rules like, you know, physics rules or whatever you want to call them, but the, the rules yeah. of the world, like how the interactions with the world works, but then you're left to your own devices to both discover how they work and also find novel interactions. Um, and so in the first version, uh, this game, it's Zelda, the original one, this was, um, you you collect these like so as you kind of go to each dungeon you sort of build up this collection of secondary tools you have your main sword that is sort of used for attacking but then you get these other tools that allow you to like you get a candle that produces a flame that you can then burn bushes with or trees um you can uh, i love that yeah you collect you that, get, that always like delighted me as right the, one of right? the options yeah um you can 
collect uh, you can collect these tools. Like you can get a boomerang that allows you to throw a sort of ranged stunning attack, but it also collects items that um, that the enemies drop, and so yeah, it nice. allows you to kind of reach further from where you're standing. You can get mm-hmm. bombs that allow you to kind of blow up rocks and things and allow you to discover entrance, secret entrances to dungeons and other rooms yeah. and things like that and hidden spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the design of this game I think <laughs> is really great. Like the layout is like the main screen is like what you see all the time. You see your field of play. You, you control the main character Link um, in the center of it and you can move him all over the screen before transitioning to a new screen. At the top of the screen is a very simple, um, I'm gonna look up the... Uh, the, the vocabulary. The, uh, like the title, or basically I wanna just kinda look at the, the layout. There's like life meters and stuff, There's right? life meters and things, yeah, so the, like, it's it's pretty great. There's the original Nintendo basically has two main buttons for play. There's A and B. Um, the original Zelda game has the main screen where you control the character, and then up above it, there's sort of your sort of heads up display, right? So in the left hand corner is a map that gives you a general ex- position in the world. Um, it's a gray field with kind of a gold or green dot that shows you where you are. Um, yes. I think that's green dot, but uh, it shows you where you are, but it, the map doesn't show you the connections between each room. It just shows you relatively where you are. So you can always have a sense of like, which I think was just kind of genius for the the scope of this game. This You have to remember, this is a system like- that had very limited memory, right? Yes, right. And, and they created this massive world regardless. Exactly. Yeah, it was this massive world. And, and much of the map was hard to access unless you had found certain tools like the, you know, like bombs or the, um, or the, the candle or something that allowed you to get things out of the way in order to access it. Like there was a step ladder that allowed you to cross over a single tile of water, um, which it was needed in order to access certain parts of the map. Um, mm. Like there's a there's a raft that you know so you can only access some rooms if you have a raft that allows you to launch from a dock in order to cross a small body of water in order to reach some secret space yes i remember Um, that now that you mention it man i only saw the original legend of zelda like maybe one time because my friend like you i didn't have a super nintendo or a nintendo right um i don't think we got a nintendo but it wasn't until like well after other kids had them yeah so uh, I also had to play it at other people's houses. And my friend Erin Olson was always really good at like computers. Like she was doing computer, like writing code and programming. Uh-huh. Like like when you and Damon started doing it. Nerds! Like way fucking back in the day. And she was all into video games and stuff too. And I don't think either of us realized that there was like a toxic male culture around that stuff. Like we no, just, because I mean, we didn't know anybody else who was into it. And she right. was way better at it than me. So I didn't even get into it, if you want to call it that. But... Um, she played Legend of Zelda and then I remember I picked up when we got a Nintendo, I picked up with Legend of Zelda 2. Oh, which yes. was a very different experience very from the different first game. game. Yes. Yeah. And so I don't have very much to say about this first game because I never actually even played it directly. I just saw Aaron play it. Yeah. And then by the time, you know, like when you're kids, you're like, oh, that's old news. We're on to this game now. Yes, you know, yeah, by the time yeah. we got the Nintendo. So it was like, I, n- I never revisited Right, it. sure. Yeah. Um, so and, please continue. <laughs> well, so th- I think um, I think what I kind of want to get to is like, basically this game is uh, could have its 
like a whole I'm sure there could be a whole book written about just the design of this game and the oh, way God, that I'm it sure. leverages like the technology at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just such an ama- a massive amount of immersive gameplay because you like people were no one had the answers, right? Like there weren't right. there wasn't really the internet. Um, the you know basically the way that you kind of discovered things was like on the playground or your friends were like oh yeah. did you get to such and such level like i found it it's here i can come over after school and show you and then like <laughs> all you can do is like think about that for the rest of the day right and then right. you're like i found the new level or i did the new thing um yes and so it's uh it had this really wonderful collaborative gameplay style to it um and and uh my point was just that like at the time it was just this like really kind of mythical experience um then uh as you alluded to um the zelda 2 adventure of link came out and this this really i think a lot of people would argue kind of missed the mark compared to the first game oh Um, yeah there was well so it had a lot of the same feel as the first game which was that mm-hmm. um you had this huge overworld map that was ex- you could explore but right. the gameplay was different from the overworld map yes. than when you were in an action scene so when you were in an action scene it was no longer this top down sort of xy mm-hmm. movement it was this sort of side scroller platformy stabby yes. jumpy thing yes um, it went back and forth yeah and um i think i think the thing about it that was hard was that or why I think people weren't as into it was that it was, um, it was much harder to, it gave up a lot of its exploration for just like technical difficulty. I think like it was much harder, like you needed to be much better at moving link around and stabbing shit. And also like you only had so many lives before you kind of had to like start way back at the beginning. So it had much more of like this sort of grind feel to it where you kind of had to like, really put in the hours to just get from point A to point B in the overworld. Because as you're moving along in the overworld, like there are dungeons and things you need to conquer in order to progress Mm -hmm. access to the rest of the map, which is, yeah, you can like get stuck. Yeah. And you can get stuck. Um, And so I think that I think for some people that made it, it lost some of the novelty of the original one. Like it, it sort of, um, I'm not exactly sure how to put it, but it was kind of like, let's see if there's a good review on the website. There, um, <clears throat> do you remember in the second one, you had to jump down a chimney? Yes. Of a house in the woods. Yeah. I like it's, it's interesting because in many ways, like it has a huge amount of secrets and interesting shit. That's like even more yeah. obscure than the original one. Oh really? Yeah. Well, like jumping down a chimney, right? It's yeah. like, you have to know this yeah, one like, house with this one chimney. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so uh, according, assume, or, uh, according to the Wikipedia article on mm-hmm. the game, um, upon its release in North America, Zelda two was met with mostly positive reviews from critics and became one of the most popular NES games of 1988. So by far it was like still a good success. Um, like, so the fr- so they were released one year apart. Uh, let's look and see. Let's make let's just make sure that's true. 
Yes. Uh, in North America, 1987, August 26, 1987. And then, um, and then a year later, uh, December 1st, 1988. Uh, okay, yeah, so just a little... Released. Yeah, just a little more. They probably waited till Christmas on purpose. They probably like. Oh sure. August yeah. was fine, but you know what we should do next time. Right. I mean, what they were doing was like they were starting to like set the trend for like how video game sales go. Like they yeah. were starting to get the sense of it and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, so. Uh, Side question: We yes. do not have to detour into this, but we might. But we don't have to. Did you ever play Maniac Mansion? Yes. So. I also like that game for some of the same reasons with the discovery and the like, it wasn't so much about fighting as it was about puzzles and it was just weird. Yep. Yeah. Maniac Mansion also released in 1987. I um, thought so. Yep. I thought we were playing those concurrently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Maniac Mansion was a graphic adventure game, um, mm-hmm. a sort of point and click adventure. I yes. loved that game. Um, it was, I too. it, it's kind of iconic, and I imagine many people who uh, from that era will have also played it or have at least heard of it. Um, but back to Zelda. Yeah, sorry. Back to Zelda. So um, so Zelda, yeah. So Zelda 1, Zelda 2. Zelda 2, as we just discussed, was this. Um, so the story of Zelda 2. So this is kind of something I want to touch on. So we touched on mm-hmm. the, the plot of the original one. Yes. Which was this idea that... Um, there's the Triforce and the the Triforce of Wisdom has been broken up and Link must go collect and reassemble it in order to confront Ganon who has stolen the Triforce of Power. Um, and there's a lot of sort of lore that goes around that, but essentially sure. the main players typically, or at least in the first game, are Zelda, the Princess Zelda, Link, the Link. protagonist, um, or the main controllable character, and then Ganon, the sort of evil demon lord. Um, and then the, there's like townsfolk and stuff too, right? That like pepper in and out. Yeah. So in the original game, mm-hmm. um, there's really just two other characters. There's the oh. old man and there's the old woman. Okay. And I think the old woman, I think is Impa. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, actually, let's see. So uh, original manual. The original manual has, um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, here we go. So the original manual has a list of all the characters. So I'll just kind of look at them right now and then we can, um, man, the original manual was like really interesting because it, it just had such a like interesting art style it really talked like oh yeah it talked a lot about like how to play the game it gave you a lot of hints um, oh it had unusually it, helpful yes yeah it had um it talked a lot about the different enemies it had how to get to level two to start um oh. it had some of the overworld mapped out with some of it like still hidden so you could kind of have a sense of um that's interesting because that's kind of how the the c- concurrent like games like B- breath of the wild and uh tears of the kingdom and yeah whatever are those the most two recent i can't remember what the one that's out oh, just now uh breath called. of the wild and tears of the kingdom 
Yeah. yeah, which is the impetus for talking about this. So yeah, I've been that's playing, why we got on this. Yeah, subject. that's why we got on this. So let's um, let's fast forward a little bit and not get hung up too much in each of the individual games. The, the original one, really mm-hmm. great. Uh, Zelda two, great in its own right, as we discussed. Um, the the list is fucking astronomical. So <laughs> it's so I'm just gonna quickly buzz through it. So there's 19 games in the main series. Yep. Um, so Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link, The Legend of Zelda: A Link to the Past. Now this was the one that was on the the Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. I adore that version of Zelda. Yeah, and I would argue that that was like the next big like like really stuck to its orig- origins and really updated it. Like I, I loved that one. Yes, I felt like it was very um like very recognizable like somehow they managed to preserve the like design spirit of the first two games in this in the in the super nintendo one even though the graphics were way better and the gameplay was much more smooth and quick like quick to load and stuff uh it was delightful that game was so great i one of my favorite features of the game the design element is when you go into the forest and there's like an overlay of dappled sunlight. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, the effect yes. of that was just so charming. There's always so we failed to mention that Link is like an elf. Like he has little elf ears. Yes, yeah. Link is Link is a little elf. Um, it's, Zelda is Zelda also an elf? So, ah, uh, gosh, she's not like human, right? I mean. We're, now we're going to get into the issues. <laughs> um, so <sighs> Link, Link is um, Link is dr- drawn originally with elf-like features. Um, like pointy ears. Like pointy ears. It's sort of diminutive in size and sort of like yes. bo- boyish. Boyish. Yeah, young and boyish. Um, so I think that Link and Zelda are Hyruleans, and that's a H H Y R U L E is the kingdom. Um, Zelda is also elf-like, um, yeah, elf-like Hylian princess. So, uh, and so Zelda and Link have this. Well, that's what we're gonna get into, right? So, um, let me just quickly buzz down the list of games. Uh, just to kind of get them all what in is, here. What is Ganon really quickly? Uh, He's Ganon, like a evil, evil, evil spirit, evil creature, evil, evil. Um, Ganon is the, he's sort of a demon. Okay. Um, let me see if I can. So, and then there's lots of fairies that factor heavily into this too. So let's see. Um, Ganon is a fictional character and primary antagonist of Nintendo's Legend of Zelda video game series and franchise, as well as the final boss in many Zelda titles. Um, in his humanoid Garud Garudo Garudo farm form, uh, Garudo is the. Uh, they're sort of a humanoid race, I guess, hmm. um, in the sort of Zelda universe. Um, okay. 
but he's known as Ganondorf when he's sort of in his sort of more humanoid form, um, as opposed to his like sort of, uh, Let's see. I don't know. He's he's like, basically he, cha- he takes a bunch of weird forms. Yeah, in the he's, most recent games. He's like the body embodiment of evil and darkness, right? Like, and he so, like shapeshifts. Yeah, sometimes he shapeshifts. It just depends on which version of the game you're playing. Um, oftentimes, he has sort of like large, oversized orc-like properties, sort of piggish face, yeah. large, massive arms. Um, there's a version of him in one of the ones that Damon was just playing called Calamity Ganon. Yeah, so in the um, in the Breath of the Wild, Calamity Ganon is the main protagonist, or no, sorry, uh, what's not what prota- antagonist? Yeah. yeah, antagonist. Yeah, um, <laughs> this is impossible to follow. Uh, all right, let me let me get to it. So, so there's an elf and his elf-ish friend yes. they're Hyrulean and it's Link and Zelda and Zelda scattered the Triforce which is like this tripartite golden thing that grants powers to whoever possesses it but it doesn't distinguish between good or evil and so therefore it's really important for good people to always have control of it yes right yep. and, and then Ganon like kidnaps Zelda and she's like spread the Triforce everywhere and so because Link is still free he has to find it and build it back together into a single thing and use that as a good person to overcome the powers of Ganon. Yes. Yeah. And so there we go. So every game has sort of different variations on this theme. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them diverge wildly from this theme. Um, Ah, really? Yeah. Again, I've only like, I'm only really familiar with like five of them, right? The the first one, the second one, which I've played the third one, we discussed the first Super Nintendo one. Yeah. And then the last two in the whole series, which Damon has played. But I must confess the learning curve with the fucking controller and the zillion buttons and the moving, the swiveling the camera around in three dimensional space and shit. I'm like, I'll just watch you play. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) it's, it's pretty, it's very different. Um, but let's just go through the list. So there's 19, there's 19 games. We started with legend of Zelda, Zelda Two: the adventures of link legend of Zelda, a link to the past super Nintendo now on super Nintendo. Uh, so mm-hmm. now on game boy, there's a game called Leg- the legend of Zelda links awakening, um, yes. which was released in 1993. So legend of Zelda link to the past was released in 1991. Um, legend of Zelda links awakening was released on game boy in 1993. So um, it was the first title for a handheld console. Um, it was re-released for the Game Boy Color under the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening DX with additional elements. Um, and it was also remade for the Switch featured featuring updated graphics, gameplay, art style, and soundtrack. Um, oh, that would be interesting to see. Yeah, so the Link's Awakening is often cited by fans as one of the best storylines. Um, okay. The plot for this game uh, is pretty interesting. It travel Link travels by ship uh, to other countries um, to train for. So after the events of Link to the Past, the hero Link travels by ship to other countries to train for further threats. Um, so uh, the uh, Link's Awakening is um, interesting because uh, is that the one with the whale? Yeah, or the wind fish. So uh, basically the end of this game culminates in uh wink l- wink link um uh basically 
waking the wind fish um, and everything that just happened was basically just a dream. Um, a dream of a fish. Yeah, the dream of a fish. Uh, and all the island that you play on and all of its inhabitants slowly disappear as you wake up, um, which is kind of nuts, right? Like, it's yeah. sort of like you've spent this whole game invested in these characters and then they're all just a dream. It's that you've, a lie. Yeah. Um, so uh, this game is gameplay wise much more in line with in line with the original zelda which is kind of top-down dungeon exploration with like a bit of an overworld um mm -hmm. two-dimensional etc uh so then we'll go on to um then we get to the first 3d zelda game so nintendo 64 came out Ooh. and the game uh the legend of zelda ocarina of time was released in november 23rd 1998 uh, this game was, I played this game quite a bit. Um, I love the name. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this game has a lot of interesting thematic elements with Link traveling back and forward in time, um, playing between his young boyish self and his mm -hmm. adult version. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this game, uh, really was received very well, um, I think a lot of people are really a big fan of like if people who are a fan of the series like this may be the one that actually like sucked them in and like got them yes. into it more than I remember other. it being a big deal. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Majora's Mask, the second, the sort of sequel to Ocarina of Time came out very similar uh, gameplay engine. So three dimensional um, link interacts in the world. Uh, Gameplay is very much the same on a fundamental level. The story and the plot very different. Again, this has more to do with um, like it kind of has this three day cycle that you play through, um, which is about 54 minutes in real time. Um, and you're kind of constantly playing through the cycle. And each time mm -hmm. you play through the cycle, you can kind of like affect different changes on the world. Amazing. Um, there's the this sort of mask transformation system where you can wear masks that sort of transform you into different sort of playable characters that give you different abilities to interact with the world. It's, um, yeah. It's, I you know, all of these games are massive and have like a huge array of discussion uh, topics like we could talk yeah. about from a design point of view. Um, um, one yeah. thing I, so one thing that we could talk about and I, you may have a lot more insight into this than I have, is how you get around. Like, I think in one and two, don't you play a flute? So, uh, yes. And modes you get, like, of, picked up in a tornado or something like Modes that, of transportation, or? yeah. So in the original game, um, you, there was an artifact that you could discover called the flute or the whistle that would allow you to essentially be picked up by a tornado that would whisk you off the screen and then take you in cycle to the seven, I think it was seven or eight different dungeon locations. And so that essentially allowed you to rapidly like a warp. Like a warp. It would allow you to warp travel around the map. Um, in the second one, I believe there was also a similar functionality in, um, in the third one in link to the past, you had the ability to transport yourself between light and dark, um, the light and the dark world using this mirror. And 
that also allowed you to bypass certain puzzles because the world mm -hmm. was subtly different in the dark world than it was in the light world. It also had, um, there was another tool I'm trying to remember. I just played this. In the Super mm -hmm. Nintendo one that I was familiar with, you blow, like, you play a little flute. And a oh, yeah. You also get it. Ocarina, um, and yeah. you can, uh, and you could, uh, a duck. Yeah, um, a duck. That's right. It's a duck, and it has a funny little duck beak instead of, yes. like, you know, you would think it would be a giant eagle or, like, yes. something that could pick you up and carry you away. And it's this tiny little duck that comes from off screen and, like, swoops down and carries you off to the other side of the screen. <laughs> yeah, so if you play the flute uh, specifically in front of the weather cock, it appears in the spot where the wooden bird atop the... Uh, after Link awakens, it is able to take Link to eight locations throughout the light world. Um, yeah, so... You can, yeah, so it works very similarly um, to the flute in the sense that you can kind of warp between sort of these different sort of dungeon locations yeah. or sort of unique points of interest around now, the world. Did they have mountains in the first and second one? Because they for surely did in the Super Nintendo one. Yes. So there were mountains, but you have to remember the representation of them was... Yeah tricky because it was very limited low resolution graphics right. and so um the sense that they gave you with the mountains was just that like as you transition the screens up you were also going up um, Aha, yes, and okay. so you still had death mountain being like sort of the titular feature of the sort of zelda universe um, oftentimes where Ganon resides, but not always. Um, but Death Mountain being like kind of this volcano um, and the very mm -hmm. more difficult, challenging terrain to traverse as you play the game. Um, so, uh, so we got to um, Majora's Mask. Then we get to um, some Game Boy Color uh, games. Oh, yes. Uh, so Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. Um, which I have not played. Um, there were Oracle Seasons and Oracle of Ages for Game Boy Color that were very similar vibe and art style to Link to the Past. Um, okay. I can't really speak to the entire plot, um, but that's going to lead to, you know, the plot is something that I kind of want to touch on a little bit in this at least initial exploration of the world of Zelda. Um, so we, but before we get there, I'm just going to kind of keep pushing through Game Boy Color 2001, Oracle <laughs> Seasons, Oracle of Ages. These two titles came out. Um, then, uh, then they did a re-release of, uh, Link to the Past and f a game called, uh, on Game Boy Advance, which was a porter of a port of Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. I don't really want to talk too much about that. Um, that had a game, an add-on game called Four Swords, which I think basically just allowed four-player mode um, for people to kind of link their Game Boy advances together and play That's, all together in some, some capacity. Yeah. Um, then probably the next main title that uh, most people would recognize is The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, which was a 2002 GameCube game. Mm. Um, the This game was, I think it's big thing was like they did cell shaded graphics, which if you're not familiar with that, um, how do I, let's see, cell shaded graphics. Typically I would describe it as sort of a comic book style. Ah, okay. If yep. that makes sense, like a thick, a thick black line art sort mm -hmm. of outlining, um, you know, 
object or not objects, but uh, like yeah, elements like, in the drawing were yes. kind of like thickly penned with black ink and then filled in, right? Cells mm -hmm. that are shaded in. Mm -hmm. um, it gives a very distinct kind of comic book feel to things, I, I believe. Um, the Wind Waker was an interesting game. It it was again 3D. It had a its art style was very much more comic like um, or cartoonish almost. Uh, that sounds fun. I like I like that this particular. There's nothing about this game that feels off if you change something slightly. So like the, yeah. the, throughout the reiterative process, it has adapted well to different consoles and like sort of modes of play based on the mutable and changeable aspects of the game. Like there's these things that are always the same and always recognizable. Yes. It seems to me. Yep. Which because they're so clear and enduring, like Link and his sort of like appearance and personality and like Zelda and sort of the plot line and stuff, these things are anchor the story and the game enough that you can change the set dressing without like wrecking <laughs> the experience or it, it feels contiguous. Like it's evolving as opposed to right. Starting over in a weird way or whatever. Right. Right. Um, so then we have uh, right after that, there was a, another release of four swords adventures, which is a little bit different than four swords, uh, four swords adventures, um, was released for the GameCube. Uh, this was uh, similar to its predecessor, Four Swords, and gameplay and presentations. The game takes Link and his three clones created by the Magic Four Sword on an adventure resort oh, piece in weird. Hyrule. Um, it, it sort of uh, has that sort of a Link to the Past gameplay style, except four player. Um, mm -hmm. I think... I, I never played it, but um, you know, it's. I'm sure plenty of people have had a ton of fun playing most of these games. So, um, yeah. All right. Do uh, they all take the same like gazillion hours of your life to win? Uh, I think I think they're all different um, levels. So I can't speak to those games how long it took for me. But I, having played. You know, the original Legend of Zelda took hours and hours the first time. Yeah. Now, like, I could probably play through the bulk of it in an afternoon. Um, you know, because you, once you know where everything is, like, you can just kind of set goals and just be like, you're right. going straight there. Like, most of the time in the original one was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, how right. do I find this thing? Now that I know where everything is, it's like, you know, choose your path and go. Um, you can do it much more expeditiously. Yeah, exactly. Um a link to the past I played recently, probably finished it in a week of playing like a couple hours in the evening. Um, not uh, Ocarina of Time, I have not replayed and finished, um, although I've attempted to. I find it, um, I find it a little bit. There's some control elements to it that were novel at the time that I find now like just prohibitive like you spend a lot oh. of time you spend a lot of time in the um in the initial starting village in that fucking navi uh fairy that's always like trying to tell you that you want to talk to her about shit um <laughs> yeah. and like it's fine the first time because you're like i need to know what this is but then like on second playthrough it's like you can't skip a lot of dialogue and so i find it a little bit 
little bit cumbersome there. Um, so I haven't played it as much. Uh, okay, so after Four Swords Adventures, which is really just kind of a very similar story to Four Swords for the Game Boy Advance, but now on the GameCube. Um, then uh, on Game Boy Advance, they released the game, The Minish Cap. I played this game um, and did not expect to like it as much as I did. Really enjoyed it, played it all the way through. Um, the Minish Cap is uh, an adorable, cute little game about um, Link and fits in the world. Uh, it's basically, um, it doesn't feature Ganon, uh, or does it? Oh. No, it does not feature Ganon. Then what's the motive? So... Um, Basically, uh, centuries ago, Hyru Hyrule was ravaged by evil forces until the Picari, a race of tiny creatures, bestowed a young hero with the Picari blade and the light force, using both oh. to trap the world's evil in a chest. The grateful people of Hyrule would hold an annual Picari festival with legends stating that a door between the worlds would open every hundred years, allowing the Picari to return. Um, hmm. So that's kind of the setup. Uh Then, um, then there's kind of a, a festival in one of the villages, the Pickery Festival. Uh, a sword fighting champion, Va'ati, destroys the Pickery Blade and opens the chest, releasing monsters across Hyrule. Not finding the light force he seeks, um, uh, Va'ati turns Zelda to stone and leaves, and then yada yada. Um, Which one is that out of the 19? Uh, which one is this out of the 19? Good question. Let's find out. List, list. So that would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. This would be number 12. This was released in November 12th, 2004. Hmm. No, sorry, January 10th, 2005 in North America. Oh, so it, it took a little while to reach North America. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, still kind of that top down, top down sort of sword vi swinging yeah. vibe. Um, very much in keeping with like a large map to explore and puzzles to solve. Mm -hmm. um, then we get to uh, the Wii and the Wii. Yeah, the Wii. Yes. So GameCube is now being usurped by the Wii. Um, they released the title Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess on GameCube and Wii. Twilight Princess uh, was a th back to 3D game. Um, has a lot of a lot of different elements going on in terms of um, sort of plot changes, and Ganondorf is back. Um, a lot going on in you know, uh, you're meeting a lot of the characters that you met in Ocarina of Time. Um, okay. There's, I, I really like, I just can't, I can't get into all of it if we're going to finish <laughs> this. Um, so then, uh, then the Wii, um, oh, then the Nintendo DS, which was the mm -hmm. sort of next handhold game, game, which was a, t a dual screen. Um, they released The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass, which I also played and really enjoyed. This had more of a sort of sailing adventure game um, vibe to it. Um, but again, you're controlling Link, doing boss battles. This has more of a 3D gameplay um, 
aspect to it. It's got the dual screen, which makes it very hard for this to be played on anything other than a Nintendo DS. Like it's not oh. likely to be ported to new modern systems unless they end up supporting like a dual screen. This is one of the things that um, I think is harder with Nintendo is a lot of their games, like as their sort of game consoles get sort of have these sort of gimmicks that man, fuck them. Like they fucking work. Like yeah. the dual screen was popular. Like people really liked it and it went Loved on for it. a long time. Um, but it also means it's like really hard for those older games to get ported forward to newer consoles. Sure. Um, you know, because they have this sort of touchscreen element that's separate from the view screen. Like, I regret like not keeping all my old Nintendo stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I had a, I had a dual screen and a Game Boy Advance, which I Aww. lost. I gave away. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, Phantom Hourglass, then we get to, um, what a great name. Yes. Yep. Uh, so then we get to Legend of Zelda spirit tracks, which was also a DS game. I did not play this game. Um, I mean, most of these I haven't even heard of because sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I stopped playing video games so much after I graduated high school and it wasn't because I like outgrew them. I just got busy with other things. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, I'm like, what happened to all the controllers? Like, I don't, this is like flying a fucking rocket ship. I yeah, yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Just holding one stresses me out. I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing now? Oh, where's the button to shoot? Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing for sure. Um, <laughs> all right. So spirit tracks, uh, spirit tracks was kind of this, it, it sort of made use of this train that you could, this spirit train, Ooh. um, which you could kind of lay down tracks and tra or traverse the world. Um, Fun. the towns and dungeons, which you then kind of traverse it by foot when you reach them. Um, I have not played it. Uh, so I can't really comment on it. Is that also um, on DS? Yes, also on DS. So it, uh, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, very similar sort of concepts of gameplay. Um, it's interesting how they bring in elements of other sort of traditions, like ghosts or spirits yeah. or phantoms or uh, pure evil embodied in a thing. Or You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a... And they kind of like come and go. Not all of these games have like a spirit element to them. Right, right. And I think, I wonder too if something that sort of uh, influences the design of the game and the gameplay is like, in what context do you embed the need for constant sword play? Right, <laughs> like, yeah. Like it, when you think about, Unless you're crafting an entire universe that's totally from scratch, which makes it incumbent upon you to define literally everything as new and novel and how it all relates to each other. Instead of doing that and bearing that burden, you can sort of like hearken back to something that's already somewhat familiar. And the only time that seems to be relatable to like European type American type folks is like the Middle Ages when yes, people had swords right. and shields yes. and helmets and horses. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and so I think like it's interesting to me. It's like we have spirits and fairies, but also it's the Middle Ages. Right. <laughs> In <right>. Europe. In <laughs> the Europe, European yes. Middle Ages to be specific. Um, so I just kind of think about that like elves and fairies and 
swords and so i i mean this is a this i as we get to the end of this list i'll Mm -hmm. i'll comment on this a little bit like um the it that that concept of like the sort of high fantasy tolkien-esque um influence which is cited for sure by i think miyamoto um, okay yeah in the original like the original inspiration um which was uh i'm trying to see if i can find yeah um drew inspiration from fantasy books such as lord of the rings um but uh we'll get there so um yeah so after spirit tracks um we come back to the wii and uh the legend of zelda skyward sword is released um skyward sword uh was a a sort of kind of bring it back to the sort of main sort of plot of you know the goddesses and the triforce i Mm -hmm. think um yeah i mean i have not played it so i'm just kind of skimming through to just make sure um you know there's the the sort of temple of time or i think the gate of time or something so there's a lot of like revisiting a lot of stuff that was established in ocarina of time um and uh essentially um players navigate the floating island of Skyloft and the land below it, completing quests that advance the story and solving environmental and dungeon-based puzzles. So we're kind of back to that that kind of concept. I love the concept of a floating city. Yes. Like a floating anything. Like it's just like up there, up there. Up there, yeah. Uh, So after Skyward Sword, which was released in November 20th, 2011, um, there was a game for the 3DS in 2013 called a link between worlds um a link between worlds uh is kind of similar princess zelda link and uh demon king ganon are mm-hmm. added again in their sort of <laughs> you know hijinks of you know locked th- in a preternatural but eternal battle yeah yeah um the gameplay had a little bit of novelty, which it allowed to, um, there was a lot of top down perspective. Um, Mm. but, uh, apparently you could kind of flatten link and merge into walls, which allowed you to kind of traverse 3d terrain in a novel way that was, um, you know, sort of used for interesting puzzle dynamics. Um, all right. So then, uh, then in 2015 3ds also had triforce heroes which was um the second original nintendo 3ds entry in the legend of zelda series uh it's a cooperative action adventure game uh in which three players control differently colored versions of the series protagonist link so um similar to the four swords concept uh then we got to um we're getting there then mm-hmm. came breath of the wild in 2017 Aha. for the switch and the wii u oh it was that long ago yeah so it's it was a I while didn't ago realize that yeah um i in many ways i kind of wish i'd picked it up sooner i really just started playing it i'd come to visit you guys um i i'd been uh, my partner and i had been out um 
at a bar and the bartender would not shut the fuck up. This is a bartender we know pretty well and we hang out with like, or we go, uh-huh. you know, we see him at the bar a lot and um, he would not shut up, shut up about uh, Breath of the Wild or more specifically um, the uh, Tears of the Kingdom. And, and I, we were talking about it a little bit and I was like, well, you know, I'd been really eyeing Breath of the Wild for years now, just thinking maybe I would play it. I for sure have a problem with video games in the sense that like, if I start playing a video game, like I like a good one that I find that I like, yes. it's hard for me to put it down. As Damon said, he's like, I feel like I've handed like a fucking bottle of scotch and a bag of Coke to an addict. Like, yes, totally. <laughs> yes, he did feel a little bit like he had saddled you with something yes. that you, <laughs> you were like sucked into. Yeah, because like the first couple days while I was there, because I had just said to Damon I was like oh you have that game I'd love to give it a try I'd been thinking about buying it for myself and I'd love to see if it's like kind of what I want to do <laughs> and I fucking couldn't put it down I was like cool like can we keep playing like yeah sure like whatever you guys want to do like if you guys want to watch me play this game we can do quick, whatever we do whatever you know just as long and as then eventually I'm like okay well you can keep playing but I'm gonna go lay down now <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> bye <laughs> which I totally totally get there's also something very strange like the sims does this to me yeah Lots of other video games don't, but like with The Sims, the more I play, like mm-hmm. the more adrenalized I get or something. Yes. Yeah. And I will not notice that like like I will want to keep playing and I will the rational part of my brain will be like, "Okay, but you've been playing for 8 full hours." Yeah. Yeah. Like just uh, no one's paying you to do this. Right. Right. <laughs> like I will I will spend more time devoted to managing a fake municipal budget on SimCity than I would doing something paid for money. Yes. Like, I'll just sit there forever unless I, some higher rational part of me or an outside influence intervenes and makes me stop. It's not every game. I could also do that with Tetris. Sure. Yeah. Um, but like the, the Super Nintendo uh, Legend of Zelda game was the one that really sucked up the most of my time because for whatever reason, it it hit me at the right time where I had the right uh, set of capabilities with regard to playing video games that I could play it successfully and not get bored. And I was able to achieve enough progress in a reasonable amount of time that I just never wanted to stop playing. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is like the sweet spot. (laughs) Yeah. And this is my problem with like the Zelda games, right? Is it's like Mm -hmm. they feed that level of like exploration where it's just like new novelty all the time. And so Breath of the Wild for sure captures to me captures that like that feeling of those early games. Yeah. Like that just completely open world, insanely new novel stuff all the time. Like you just never know what you're going to find. There's, there's a secret everywhere. So like anywhere you are in the game, you're just kind of like, there's a secret here to discover. Like there's a thing, there's a trick to this that will uncover some secret chest or, um, I love the, the little, there's these little sort of woodland nymphs called Koroks that you collect seeds from. And and I think there's like, let's see. You have to carry them around. Yeah, uh, you Reunite have to them with their friends. Yeah. So in Breath of the Wild, there are 900 Korok seeds. Oh, my God. And can you like ca- they're all cataloged. So, you know where they are, right? 
I mean, uh, one can look it up. I'm, I'm trying not to ruin it for myself. Right. And like <laughs> not do that. Um, I mean, at some point, if I want to collect all of them, I will, but at the moment I've been trying to really keep myself in sort of a lockdown and not read much but about the need game a spreadsheet to make sure of which ones you had gotten and not gotten. Oh yeah. I mean the game sort of keeps track of it for you. Oh, really? Um, like it puts a marker on the map that that one is found. Oh. Um, and I think there's a way, but I've, I've just tried to, um, just sort of like experience the game as if I was just playing it. And also I think with 900, I think the idea is you don't necessarily have to find them all to, you certainly don't have to find them all to complete the game. Like, you know, you can, you can play through the main story and have all of the experiences without having done every single fucking thing, um, yes. which I'm trying to let go of and be okay with. Cause I'm, no, like, you I'm can't, not, though. yeah, I mean, well, that's where I'll get into an internet list and be like, okay, checklist. Did I get all of every fucking, I got of all of everything in the one with the duck. That link to the, a link to the past. Yes. To the past. And those games, it was doable, right? Like yeah. it was not just astronomically. Oh, I mean, the God. 900, I, the thing I want to say about these, these Korok seeds is that uh-huh. it's not just a matter of finding them on the map. It's not like if I visit every square it, on the map, I will have found them all. Right. The problem is like, even if you find where you think one of the Koroks is, they're hidden and the, do a thing to reveal them. Yeah. Yeah. And they have these puzzle types. And so the puzzle types can be like anything from shooting a moving target that you have to know and like you have to stand Mm -hmm. in a place and then the target appears and then you can (laughs) see it and then you have to shoot it with an arrow or sometimes like Mm -hmm. 10 targets. Um, Sometimes it's a matter of like giving an offering to a statue. Sometimes it's a matter of, um, uh, like melting some ice or just lifting a particular boulder or uh, following a trail of flowers. But the trail of flowers is like you step on one flower and it disappears in a puff of magic sparkles. Oh. And then, and then you have to wait and see where it reappears. And sometimes it reappears kind of far away and you might miss it. And then when it reappears, oh you have to God. run over there and step on it. And you might have to do this like 20 times before you finally get to the one that reveals the croc. So good Lord, 900 times, right? Like yeah. it's an insane task. Yeah. Um, and, but that's the magic of like, I feel like that's where they've really recaptured that idea of like using the, the platform to its fullest potential. You have Mm -hmm. this like modern hardware where it's like, you can create these like massive expansive. Yeah. And you can create this expansive space to explore and they've done that. And it's fantastic. Um, so that brings us to the very latest title, which is, uh, released in 2023. Yep. Uh, legend of Zelda tears of the kingdom. And I think one of the things that got me sucked into this was that it, it has that similar, I'm, I'm seeing what I felt like it played like when I played the original one, which was that other people are talking about it and wanting to share their, their discoveries. And the cool thing is it's like, not everything's been discovered yet. Right. And so that's fun. Um, the internet, I feel like really changed the way these kinds of games ended up getting played and it it's a lot harder to play them um, because, or it's a lot harder to recreate that sense of wonder because the internet, like someone out there is too good at it, right? The game, like you release a game and it's not for them. It's too easy or it somehow gels, or maybe they enjoy doing this, but for whatever reason, like they 
play through it so quickly and discover so much of it and learn so much about it. And then, and rightfully so they should be able to publish and share their information. And, you know, it's up to us to choose to read that or not. But I think that that, um, it makes it harder to create an entire atmosphere of mystery when there's like a whole cohort of people who are like, I know what everything is already. Yes. Um, and that's fine. Spoilers. And that's, yeah. But also like, I think as we get older, um, as a society and we live with the internet longer, people are less and less like, they're like, that's fine. I don't care. I don't want to know. I know that I'd like to discover the mystery for myself or like yeah. have a salt, small group of friends where we all kind of play together and like, are not really like, you know, mm-hmm. undermining the mystery of it that way. But, um, um, do you remember like you used to have to wait to get your hands on a copy of Nintendo power magazine? To yes. Be, like, tips and secrets yes and they'd like it come out next month and it'd be a whole new series of interesting secrets yeah. and things to have been revealed that um, kind of reminds me of like the 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 means of production of those secrets used to come from the same people who created the game and now there's like a subculture on the internet of people who share those secrets even though they weren't the ones who created them yeah so nintendo power has an interesting relation to one of the things that stands out to me is one of our common games that we really uh, shared games which is the link to the past um the third game on the the third game to come out and the one on the super nintendo Uh, It has an Easter egg, and in 1990, Nintendo Power held a contest requiring players to take a photo of something called the War Mech, a powerful rare enemy in Final Fantasy. As a prize, one of the successful entrants was to be selected at random to appear in an upcoming game, though it was not revealed which game it would be. So, as a result of this Mm -hmm. contest... um, a hidden room exists in a link to the past containing 45 blue rupees and a greeting from Chris Houlihan, the winner of the contest. And it reads, my name is Chris Houlihan. This is my top secret room. Keep it between us. Okay. The room was intended as a crash prevention measure. The game would send players to this room if it could not determine where Link was going when he goes to another area and has been found through five different methods. So, the what this means is that the room cannot be discovered through normal means of play okay one cannot um just find it on the map one has to get to the room by creating a crash condition in the game where the game doesn't know where link is like what the new screen is to be presented to link and so then it will put you in this room Um, does it say what the five ways are uh, so, um, I'm just going to pull that up now. Uh, the, f- <laughs> all right. So, um, let's see, Chris, Houlihan. I, I like that. Uh, I like the rupees, like there's different denominations of them. So the rupees are like these, crystal looking jewels that you pick up and some of them look like rubies some of them look like emeralds some of them are blue like sapphires some of them are gold or silver and um you carry them around and you discover them and then you can use them to buy stuff in the towns or wherever right and like in a lot of cases you'll like find them in a cave or 
you'll happen upon a trove of them or you'll get them as rewards or like in a lot of the games there's swampland that you have to chop through yes. with your sword and by chopping you'll reveal rupees or yeah, an enemy be, who jumps out at you exactly yeah they'll be sort of randomly hidden within the grass mm, or yeah. yeah yeah they're they're and they also give a very delightful sort of like chirp when you pick them up traditionally yes. on most on most versions of the game i um, also like when you discover a secret it's like yes the sound design in the game is iconic like there's probably yes. if you haven't played these games or at all or you have no familiarity with them um if you have a chance to kind of google like secret zelda secret discovery sound um, oh god and it carries through like you'll be damon, like oh i've heard that before like, yep does when damon was playing the other day he like discovered some secret in the most recent game the um uh fucking tears of the kingdom and yeah. it has a very that motif that musical motif i was like you found something yes and straight from childhood like rocketed through my brain yeah and when the sound waves traveled through the house it's very much like it's a very good example of like a well done sound design for a slot machine, right? Like it's yes! just that reward feedback loop of like, you've done a good thing, reward them yep. with an uprising, uh, arpeggio. Um, so the, <laughs> yeah. so this accessing the Chris Houlihan room, which is considered an Easter egg for this, uh, for the link to the past, uh, according to the Wikipedia article on it, and there may be five ways to do it, but the, it only seems to list one. Um, but this will give you a sense of like how complicated it is and why <laughs> this is like kind of a ridiculous thing that it's amazing that someone has figured this out. So, okay. um, according to the Wikipedia article, the way you do this, first of all, you need the Pegasus boots and at least one bomb. So the Pegasus boots and a link to the past allow you to charge link up and then run. And so the little character will do this like sort of, you'll see sort of him kind of hopping up and down and then dust will spit out behind him as he moves yes! quickly across the screen. Yeah. So, um, the step one, start from the sanctuary. This is a location on the overworld map. Step two, exit the sanctuary and go west one screen. Now go to the bottom of the screen and the path that leads to the small forest west of the castle, but don't change screens. When you're close to the lower border of the screen, face up, drop a bomb. The bomb blast should send you south, but you won't change screens. And if you are... If you were close enough to the lower border, you will be standing on the lowest, low, lowermost possible pixel. Um, if you aren't this close to the bottom, use further bombs to push Link closer to the edge. Once you are at the very edge, start charging a dash with the boots, as we discussed. And while charging, press down button to turn around and face down. Um, this is to turn around without moving, which would result in screen changing and thus make this method fail. Keep charging until the dash starts and takes you to the next screen to the south. <laughs> from the screen, from this screen, go to the east towards Hyrule Castle and change screen one last time. When you enter the Hyrule Castle screen, make your way to the secret passage hole that's on the east uh, side of the screen. Yep. Cut the bush and jump in the hole from the south side. Entering from other sides will not work. Uh, if done correctly, you'll appear in the room. So oh my this, God. this is like, you can see, like, I, I don't know the details of this, but someone's figured out how to kind of set up a glitch in the game that would yes. trigger this fail state that would then transport Link to the Chris Houlihan room. Um, it's still, according to this article, not entirely understood what causes the the loading of the room, um, but uh, yeah. essentially, 
Chris Houlihan won this contest and got his name in the game. Um, my understanding is in later ports of the game, they um, they patched out his name, um, which is a little bit, I mean, whatever, but like also like also why? Um, yeah, why would they bother doing that? Yeah, like it feels like, I mean, this is part of your lore at this point. Why would yeah. you? Uh, but uh, that brings me to what I think we have just a few minutes to talk about. I do, it's been an hour and 10 minutes and I do have to get going <gasps> soon. But um, yes. I just want to touch on, um, th there is a lot of, uh, as we discussed, 19 titles in the main sequence. And the thing about that is mm -hmm. that they all have their own plots and they all have their own timelines yep. and many of them sometimes like current, right? Yeah. Well, some of the times they claim to be, um, be sequential in nature mm -hmm. or like sequels. And sometimes they don't. And the interesting thing about it is that, um, there are a lot of interesting theories about the Zelda timeline. Like for instance, when we talked about Link's awakening where he basically wakes up a big fish, there are some that argue or at one point Nintendo officially said that that whole game takes place in a link to the or sorry, in uh, Zelda two, mm -hmm. um, which was, the original, like the second game, the of second all the game, games. yeah, uh, which is the um, a link uh, adventure, the adventure of Link. There's one screen where Zel where Link takes like a boat ride on yes. the overworld, and supposedly at one point Nintendo was like, right, that's where um, that's where Link's Awakening takes place, is like oh. on that on that boat ride, like like the whole game and there's one screen where the boat ride happens and then that's where the whole story of so like if you were to play the games in sort of like canonical uh timeline order you'd want to stop playing a link uh the adventures of link go can play the entirety of um a link's awakening, link's awakening then come back and finish that game the it's boat just ride. finish the boat ride yeah i also worth noting that most of the games take place before chronologically before the um the first one like the oh, first really? one's being like the pinnacle story and then everything else is like happening before that um a kind of recurring theme is that sort of like we said like link and ganon and zelda are locked in this sort of like threesome of like you know pain and suffering or whatever mm -hmm. or, or yeah. constant strife um, <laughs> like a love chaos triangle yeah love chaos triangle exactly so um uh, there are lots of insane takes on the timeline nintendo mm -hmm. itself has retconned which is uh retconning was a word that um was invented uh but it's basically um a p it's basically in a film television series or other fictional work a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on a previously described events typically used to facilitate a dramatic plot shift or account for an inconsistency so it's it's kind of revisionist right it's the idea is it's like retrospectively we're going to like revise um you know our story based on like how we want to tell the new story and yes. to me this really isn't a problem like to me i think yeah. the best interpretation of all of the legend of zelda games is just that they're all 
they all have they all are part of the mythology right it's like here's a retelling of the myth mythical tale Mm-hmm. And each time it can be different. And sometimes you can talk about them being sequels. I think with Breath of the Wild and um, Tears of the Kingdom, there's that sort of sequentialness of like Tears yes. of the Kingdom happens a certain number of years after Breath of the Wild. So yes. it's also taking place in the same land. So they, I, my understanding, according to Damon, is they've done a good job of like allowing you to see a, a map that you are familiar with if you played mm-hmm. the first game now changed by time so Aha. that's kind of cool um yeah and you know and i hope they do more of it because for sure my experience of breath of the wild is like it really captures a lot of like my favorite experiences as a young person playing this game so that's so fucking cool yeah anyway they've done such a good job like there's no other yes. franchise that's this in depth or like enduring is there I don't know, and I, I think mean, if you're Mario Brothers, but that's not really the same thing. It's like no, it's. I would say if you're listening to this and you have thoughts about other games that you feel like should be mentioned or are something we should look into, like this, oh, yeah. um, please write in. You can write to Dana D A N A at fcbm.io, um, and let us know your thoughts or opinions or what what series. I mean, there are certainly. Yeah. I think there are other games that I've played. Like there are other adventure games that I've played for sure that are kind of like this, like role playing games that um, have I loved, kind of sequential stuff like this. Yeah, but. I loved Secret of Mana, which was kind of a spin off sure. of the Final Fantasy Empire. Yep. Yep. And I remember playing King's Quest before it became Final Fantasy when it was still like a PC floppy disk game. Yes. Yes. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like those big, I like very large epic games where there's lots of stages you have to pass through and there's lots yep. of like a very transformative, you know what I mean? Like you sure. acquire lots of things. You like go through all these trials. You like have to overcome all these obstacles. You have to like change and adapt in order right. to get through the game. Um, I think that's what I like most about Zelda is that the whole game was about transformations to begin with. And yeah. so the fact that it has been adapted and readapted to different gaming consoles and different plot lines and different timelines and all of these things doesn't seem so weird. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's liminal space, right? Like yeah. it creates these, like these liminal experiences that you can mm-hmm. go through and like, I, it's, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Um, Very cool. I, unfortunately do have to run but i did want to um say thank you to everybody for listening and uh oh do we have i think we still have colors of the day right colors of the day um let me just look and see if that's yes it is working so yeah buddy um All right, I'm going to send it to you in the chat, and then we're going to talk about it. All right, so colors of the day. Uh, You can see your own colors of the day at objectcolor.com, which is a website that Meg and I worked on. Um, uh, But these particular colors are hieroglyphical wolfsbane and forward critique. These are great. I mean, they look great together. Yes. But they're also great by themselves. The hieroglyphical wolfsbane is kind of like a brownish tan. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like a dark tan, right? Like it's sort yeah. of. Yeah. I'd be upset if this was a coffee after one creamer. It would be <laughs> yes. coffee, but much, much too light after a single creamer. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Wheat so coffee. The RGB values for this are uh, the red is 144, the green is 123, and the blue is 106. So you can see it's a little bit red-green shifted um, from a sort of neutral gray. Uh, the So the hexadecimal value is going to be um, pound sign or hashtag 907B6A. That's 907 Bravo 6 Alpha. So if you Ooh. type in hashtag 907B6A into your Google, go on the Googler, it should pop up this color for you right away. Um, the complementary color forward critique is much more uh, blue shifted and the RGB values oh, for that yes. are 111, 132, and 149. The hexadecimal value is, and again, type this into Google, hashtag 6F8495. That's 6 Foxtrot 8495. They're beautiful. You'll enjoy them. They're very muted colors. If you need some neutral colors for your house, these are perfect. Yes, they will not offend a single person who visits you. Right. And they're very complimentary. So they work well together. Um, And anyway, these are the colors of the day. So today is the day. If you don't use them today, today, they're already out of style. Right. That's Um, it. Yeah. So unlike (laughs) some companies that give you a whole year, I mean, how can a color stay relevant for a whole year? No, that's that's ludicrous. Exactly. A A laughable even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my friend, we did a good thing here today. We did. Good job, everybody. Um, All right. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for listening.